tell you God says no to that. Only God is the one who gives life. And only God is the one who can sanction that life be taken. We live in a culture of death where embryonic stem cells are taken and used in endeavors of science. We live in a culture of death where depression, mental illness drives many to suicide. We live in a culture of death where over 60 million babies who are unborn have been terminated. Although 100% of the people would say, of course, murder is wrong. Many of them would have no problem with some of these issues that we face in our culture and society. They would not be against abortion, nor euthanasia, nor many other things. So there's a harsh relevance to this command that seems so obvious, but is so broken all the time. I want us to look today and consider this command. I want us to consider three things about it. First of all, I want us to think about the meaning of the command. What does it mean? No murder. Secondly, I want us to think about the action of the command. How should we respond as Christians to this command? How should we live our lives? What should we devote our lives to? Thirdly, I want us to look at the attitude of the command. The attitude of the command. Where Jesus says, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. So I want us to look at those three things and notice something about uh, the arrangement that I have. It's kind of like a funnel. Starts off broad and wide, and then it brings itself right into your own heart. And uh, I want us to look at it from that view today. So first of all, what's the command mean? It says simply, you shall not murder. That's two more words than are in the Hebrew. The Hebrew literally means no unlawful killing. Um, I want you to know that this is not a generic term. It's not a generic word. Uh, it's never used in the scenarios of acts of war never used there. This word is never used to refer to capital punishment. Never. In all of Scripture. It's never used in speaking of lethal self-defense. It is only used to speak of Murder, always used 
forbidding planned or premeditated murder or assassination of various kinds and various kinds of manslaughter. It's only used in that way. So I, I wanted us to understand that, that this term is not used in a multitude of instances where context has to tell you something. The word is very specific. It speaks of the prohibition of unlawful killing or murder. It's the only way it's used. <clears throat> so, what does it mean? Well, are there categories that fall under this? What is it? And what is it not? Well, let's start with what it does not mean. It's not a prohibition for all killing. In fact, in Exodus 21, verses 12 through 14, just one page over if you want to flip over to it. It says there, whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Here in Moses, here in the law, here in God's own uh, word, it says here that the punishment for murder, for unlawful killing, is death. You should take him out and kill him. We'll talk a little more about the rationale of that a little later. So this is not saying that all killing is a breaking of this law because the punishment for a capital offense is death. So, it's not a prohibition to all killing. It's not a prohibition to, obviously, capital punishment, as we just saw here. Um, there are many who are against capital punishment, but God's Word upholds capital punishment as a right means of executing justice for those who commit murder. We'll talk about that a little more in a moment too. It is not a prohibition for war. We find in Scripture all through the Old Testament that God commands Israel to go into battle, to go into war for the protection of the nation uh, as well as uh, for the protection of its people and the provision of its people. Also, if we look into the New Testament, Romans 13, uh, we find that that text sanctions war as a legitimate expression of civil authority to administrate justice and to guard the nation. 
So you shall not murder is not a prohibition to war. It's also not a prohibition for lethal self-defense. Look with me, if you will, at Exodus chapter 22. Exodus chapter 22. In verse 2 it says, If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. In other words, if someone is breaking into your house and you kill them, you're not guilty of murder. Verse 3, though. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. Stop right there. What does that mean? It means that if there are witnesses who can testify that there was not a reason to kill the thief, then there will be blood guilt. So, it does not prohibit lethal self-defense. Defending your family, defending yourself, defending what is yours. So that's what it does not mean. But what does it mean? Let me give you a couple of things. Obviously, the command forbids any act of violence against an individual out of hatred, anger, malice, or deceit, or for personal gain that might result in death, even if the person is not attempting to kill them. So we're looking at someone who lies in wait, who plans to take a life, who in a premeditated way is looking to kill someone. In Exodus 21, verses 28 through 29, we find a scenario that Probably none of us will experience this week. When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. In other words, this was an accident. Well, look at the next verse. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and its owner has been warmed, but has not kept it in, and it kills a man or a woman. The ox shall be stoned, and its owner also shall be put to death. That's why I include the last part of what I was saying. Even if the person is not attempting to kill, there was a liability there. He knew that the ox would gore. And he should have pinned it up. So we see here that this act of violence is a premeditation or uh, laying aside responsibility and not being responsible. Secondly, this command means there should be no unsanctioned killing. 
What do I mean by that? The Word of God is our God. I'm sitting here reading some scenarios right out of the Word of God. And these are things where killing is sanctioned by God. Why can Christians support what the rest of the world considers, or at least much of the world considers barbaric for our time, capital punishment? Because God's word informs us that capital punishment is justice for the murderer who does not reverence life and in turn does not reverence God. This brings us to our second point, and that is the action of the command. See, the meaning of the command, and now let's look at the action of the command. The sixth commandment rests upon the first commandment. You may remember the first commandment requires us to revere God and no other. We are to revere God and no other. The sixth commandment reveres God and reveres life which God created in his image. Turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. This actually goes before the law and is actually God speaking to Noah. In Genesis chapter 9, we see why God puts this forward and why uh, there's a reverence to God and reverence to the life that he created. It says in verse 5, And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. We see value given to a life in that text. God made man in his own image. That's valuable. There's no other thing in all the world that has been stamped with the image of God except man. And so God puts a high value on the life of man. No matter what the age. We see couple of things, two things. First, God requires the death penalty for murder because of the value of life, because of the image of God. This is how he created. God shows why he sanctions taking the life of a murderer. The murderer did not reverence life as something given by God and as something sealed by God with his own image. Secondly, God authorizes man to carry out the sentence because man is made in the image of God. Did y'all notice that? Whoever sheds the blood of man, by 
man shall his blood be shed. God's authorizing right there that his image bearers carry out the sentence on those who take life in unlawful ways. There's a word for that. God calls it justice. So what's the action of the command? I think for us as Christians, the action is this, that we cultivate a view of the sanctity of life, all life, unborn life. Disabled life. Aging life. That we see the sanctity of life in helping those who want to take the life of others, but also who want to take their own life. We should... Cultivate a view for sanctity of life based on our responsibility to God as image bearers to protect and defend life. So abortion, euthanasia, embryonic stem cell research are areas of life where Christians should stand boldly against such practices. I mean, where we should stand against it in every way. We can. Where we speak against it, where we vote against it, where we challenge people that have other views, and we stand firm on the principle of life. Christians should take up causes of adoption, foster parenting. And suicide prevention. It's ways of valuing life. And ministering to. The broken and the hurting. And the helpless and the defenseless. To cultivate in us, this view of sanctity of life, I think another thing is very important, and that is for us to cultivate the attitude of this command. The attitude of this command comes from Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5. Will you turn with me there, please? Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21, it reads, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. 
So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Here we see Jesus expositing the sixth commandment, giving an exposition of it. He's pulling out of these two Hebrew words that mean no unlawful killing. And he's laying out the truth of this command. He helps us to see, first of all, that the law is spiritual. The law is spiritual. It's not merely um, something that cannot save us, but it's pointing to spiritual principles, and it is spiritual having been given by God. It deals with spiritual matters reaching into the heart of every man and extracting what is in us, namely our own potential to murder. In fact, according to Jesus' exposition, we're all murderers. I mean, as I look out here, I don't see anybody who's, you know, committed murder. I see a few of you that may have thought about it before. But none of you have actually committed murder. Yet, it's true. According to Jesus' exposition, we're all murderers. We all, in some way, have hated our brother. John, in his letter, first epistle, John 3.15 says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You know, as we look at this and we think about this, we have to consider, who is my brother or sister that I have not forgiven? He goes right into that. If you're at the altar, you realize your brother has something against you, go. When we get right down to this, do not murder, obviously, is a relational thing between men. But we need to understand it runs far deeper than that. Because we have people in our lives that injure us all the time with words with lies. We have people that wound us. And at the very center and at the very heart of this Old Testament commandment, Jesus lifts out of there the attitudes that all of us are capable of carrying. And that is to hate our neighbor. 
and to hate our enemies. When in fact, we're commanded to love our neighbor and love our enemies. At the heart of this Old Testament commandment is a mirror that gets up in front of us and shows us our own capacity to carry the attitude of murder in our hearts toward people who have hurt us and wounded us. And far from our minds often is forgiveness. And near to our minds often is vengeance. Vengeance belongs to God. But forgiveness has been given to those who are the Lord's. At the end of the Lord's Prayer, one of the things that Jesus points out is that if you do not forgive those who sin against you, your Heavenly Father will no, neither forgive you. Now, the basis of our forgiveness from God is not that we forgive others. Not what it's saying. It is saying that those whom God has forgiven will make it a practice of their lives to forgive those who sin against them. And let me tell you, there's nothing easy about that. You think forgiveness is easy? Look at the cross. You think forgiving one another is easy? No. It's a minefield. But by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God, Jesus says, you can do this. You can forgive. You can live with an attitude that loves others rather than hates them. And you can't hate your brother and love God. That's why we need the gospel. We need the grace of God. Because the word of God shows us our heart. It shows us our capacity to sin. It shows us our capacity to be unforgiving and vengeful and retaliate rather than forgive. We need the grace of God. We need the gospel of Christ. We need the forgiveness of God and the power of God to turn our hearts away from sin and to turn our hearts to the living God. Man, as I was reading through this and studying and going through this, I was thinking on, you shall not murder. And I started thinking on these words of, of Jesus. One of the things that came to my mind was where God says, you shall be holy because I am holy. You see, he wants to take the natural attitudes of our heart and remove them. 
And he wants to take the divine attitudes of his own heart and instill them in our lives. Isn't that amazing that God would want to do that in us, for us, to change us, to transform us? And indeed, he does. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know, if you can't say that about your own life, you know, things just really aren't new. The things I know are wrong, I still do. I don't really fight against them. I just go on and live them. Well, perhaps today you should consider who you are in Christ. Because those who are in Christ will be changed. Our thoughts will go from hating a brother to loving a brother who has injured us. Do not unlawfully kill. That's the command. Along with that, don't walk in unforgiveness. It's not the pattern of life. For one who is truly a believer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the commands that you give us in your word. We also thank you, Lord, for the grace that you give us to enable us to walk according to your commands. And God, as children of God, we want to obey you. And Lord, each command runs deeper than the surface level. Each command demands reverence of you. Reverence of life. Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to cultivate a view of the sanctity of life that aligns with your word. And Father, that we would faithfully live out your word. That we would stand and that we would act so as to push against the tide of a culture of death that we live in. Father, that we may one day see that culture of death giving way to the holiness of God. We love you and thank you that you hear our prayer and that you walk beside us and that you dwell in us as believers. Help us to live, Lord, every day to be pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.